ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Pod 2 himself, Matt Harriman, joins the podcast. We're going with the podcaster voice today. <laughs> What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, man. Yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm really glad to have you back on. Um, you cracked me up not too long ago, Matt, with, <laughs> I think you shared on LinkedIn, one of the reviews. You recently wrote a book, right? Yeah. And um, there was, I'm not even sure what the book's about. I haven't read it. I don't even have time to listen to my own podcast, let alone read books. I got three kids. I got multiple businesses. What am I doing with myself all the time? Not reading books. But you came up with a book on upstream planning or something like that and shared one of the reviews on on LinkedIn. Can you can you tell me a little bit about um I guess what that review was was all about? Yeah, are you talking about the one that I wrote? <laughs> <laughs> so I figured out that so I found out that Amazon has like a review period. So whenever somebody submits a review for a book, there's some a number of days that go by in some like review process. Yeah. Um and so of course I was going to go ahead and try to review my own book and I didn't want to be like, I didn't want to try to hide it. So I just put, you know, this is an amazing book and, you know, given that it's this and that and that, and the fact that I wrote it, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> and the fact that I wrote it, that's where it was like, everything looked like it was somebody else. And then you're like the conciseness, the insight, and the fact that I wrote it all <laughs> <laughs> I'll make this to be a great book, but it just sort of sums you up in a nutshell. I, you know, I, that's part of what I enjoy about you, Matt. You don't take yourself too seriously um, <laughs> while still knowing when to turn on the, the serious side. So it also um, sums up Amazon's quality control. Well, that, <laughs> that too. Right. <laughs> um, so I want to go back in time a little bit. We were just rapping about this before I hit record. Uh, you came on tripping over the barrel in August of 2021, I was sitting on a beanbag in Chuck Yates' room. Tim was moving his daughter into college, I think. It, it was a like a hectic time. Summer nape. Things were finally starting to open back up post-COVID. And you were just really launching Pod 2. Um, why don't you tell the audience a little bit that hasn't heard you before? Like, who who's Matt Harriman? Uh, what's Pod 2? And then we can get into all the good stuff. Yeah, let's do it. Um, for what it's worth, you know, my my son, who's now four, won't be breaking in with a yeah. with a bag of goldfish that urgently needs opening. That'd like be great. Last That'd be great. <laughs> if, if you could keep him the hell out this time. Very unprofessional of you. <laughs> I apologize sincerely. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Matt Harriman, founder of Pod Two. Started Pod Two in in 2019. Um, you know to make work suck less. Like I didn't know what that, what it was at the time. Really. I was kind of running away from, you know, private equity backed company. Uh, I knew that it didn't, I didn't want it to be like a typical management consulting firm. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted besides, you know, some freedom and independence and, and uh, control over, over making decisions and doing business the way that I want to. Mm. Um, so it kind of started there is, you know, I know upstream planning, been in the business, you know, since 2011, um, with Chesapeake and then was early days Intersight when it was like eight people in the U S and, and grew up, you know, through that company as it got bought and bought and bought, um, and, and had a lot of fun, learned a lot of stuff, but then, you know, the situation came together where I could go out on my own, uh, always wanted to, and, and decided that I wanted to be somebody that companies could trust to help them with 
process improvement, you know, mostly around planning, but really around mm -hmm. anything. Um, so that was the start was October of 2019, um, five months before the pandemic. So great, great time to launch a business. I had a really good first few months, which, which helped me last through, through the pandemic. But, yeah. um, that slowdown in work helped me kind of reflect and understand what I really wanted the business to be about. Um, did a couple of projects around leadership development, built a course, um, started realizing that, you know, the process improvement is, is a big part of it and still is, but what, what's deeper is what's deeper to me is helping people do a better job, you know, both in their productivity and effectiveness and in their happiness, um, mm -hmm. and fulfillment at work. And, you know, I think there's, there's firms that, you know, only focus on money, you know, that's probably the majority. Um, then there's a bunch that only fo focus on like woo woo bullshit. Um, <laughs> and money is a bad word. Um, no, I, I, that's probably harsh for, for a lot of them, but <laughs> I, I didn't hear enough messages about people, you know, looking to find that harmony between, you know, what's good for people and what's good for the business. Um, and that's, that's what we're really after. So yeah. that's, you know, that's the really high level of the consulting business. March of 2021 is when Josh Groves joined me. So he's a yes. software developer, absolute wizard, unreal. Um, but he knows the oil and gas business really, really well also. Uh, and so that's when he joined in March 21 to start Pod2 Tech. Uh, you know, mm. that's the software part of the business. Um yeah. And, you know, since then we've, we've done a lot of stuff. You know, I wrote a book launched earlier this year. He's, you know, got the, the planner, you know, our field development planning software it's out and in the hands of some users. Now it's getting off the cool. ground. So yeah, we're pretty pumped. So a lot of stuff to dig stuff through to there. Through. Um, some, uh, some really good stuff. Really good. I would, I would say one of the things I want to dive into is happiness at work. So that is something that I almost always found elusive. Occasionally, I would find a level of happiness after, you know, I'm a sales guy, right? So after I close a big deal, like that would last for maybe 24 hours. And then there's always somebody to remind you quickly, like on to the next one, right? And I know that like mentally, it's the same thing with the loss, right? You lose, yeah. you got to bounce back. You, you got to move on quickly. Um, and there's a lot more to be learned from a loss, which which Chris Dinkler and, and Chase Nall came on and talked about here as well uh, a couple episodes back. But the it's almost like an artificial dopamine hit. Right? Like something right. happened that put the world into a position where now I feel like I'm doing well at work because I closed a business deal and therefore I'm happy. Therefore, I'm a better husband. I'm a better dad. I sleep better at night. I eat better on the weekends and I take deeper breaths and I look at the beautiful mountains here in Colorado and I'm a happy guy. And then Tuesday comes around again and, and I'm on my pipeline call and my pipeline sucks because I put all my time into closing that one big deal. I'm starting that anxiety starting to build and I'm losing that happiness that was tied into artificial work success, right? That's not wow. what made me as a human and, and as a person. And one thing that that helped, I mean, two things really. One, I started Funk Futures, which was really important to me. I wanted to take some level of control um, of my path and my career after really being a full-time employee for 18 years and having thoughts of, 
I don't just want to do one thing. I don't just want to do sales. I want to do some advisory. I want to sit on some boards. I want to help with growth. I want to do some recruiting. I got all these thoughts that I can't execute on working as a W-2 for good reason, right? Companies are designed to put people in certain certain hats and you wear those hats and and my hat sometimes goes on crooked. <laughs> That's just part of the deal. That, that was one. So launching Funk Futures opened my eyes up to the possibilities of what entrepreneurship could look like and tapping into some of the creative cells in my body that had been dormant for a while. And the second was only about two and a half months after you came on my podcast with Tim, I went to something called the Hoffman Institute in California. And Hoffman was a great experience for me. In fact, a kid that I went to summer camp with named Scooter Braun, he's like pretty famous now. He's Justin Bieber's agent, uh, Ariana Grande, some of these other people. Um, He, he talked about this a little bit on a, on a podcast that I watched recently where he sort of lost touch with who he was. And so much of his success was tied into winning, right? And going to Hoffman for him, similar to what it was for me, was the first time in a very long time that you turn in your devices, right? So there's there's wow. no computers, there's no cell phones, there's no drugs, there's no alcohol, there's no sex, there's no masturbation, none of that. You're doing deep, deep reflection and really yeah. cleansing so much of this shit that you've had in your life. And I remember coming to, like, you know, I, I left on a Friday, it went Friday to a Friday, I spent a few days in California, really in silence. I came home, you know, was was calm. And I remember going to work on that Monday and just seeing the people, you know, I'd changed, right? Just one week of being in this program had changed me. I, I was seeing things differently. But the the, the stress associated with work and uh-huh. the, whether it was unhappiness or not, just the cadence and pace that people work in in the working world was sort of like, whoa, okay. Like we all need to find ourselves, right? So that that's long-winded, but it's something that has helped me reflect and and be more appreciative kind of of the day-to-day and view myself as as Jeremy, not just as yep. Funk, the the worker, the W-2, yeah. the podcast guy, like the, the sales winner or loser, the guy who gets jobs, loses jobs, whatever. Like, there's a lot more to me than that. And that fabric has been built for a long period of time. I just said a lot. And I'm curious, like you said two of the things, right? One, you want to make work suck less and you want to bring a general sense of happiness to do that. Like, how do you do that? Because I feel like it's really hard just through work to do that if you don't incorporate some personal self-development and improvement outside of work to make you happier at work, if that makes sense. So I'm curious how you do that. So if it's okay, before I answer, I want to ask you a question. Of course. So so one of your pillars of funk is, is always be authentic. Can you yeah. tell me more about that? Where did that come from? Yeah. Wow. Um, and I think that's toward the top, right? Yeah. The pillars. Um, I think that there's a lot of bullshit in the the business world um, that I frankly never played in. And I think it hurt me um, in my career, especially working for other people. Um, I like to say that I am a great consultant, but I was a terrible employee because I'll tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And to me, that's, that's authenticity. Um, Authenticity in business is not sandbagging a deal. 
right? Not yeah. withholding information that the company really needs to know and understand because it's a part of self-preservation. I don't uh-huh. play any political games. I never will. Um, it's being real and honest and truthful in interactions that will either make people love you or hate you. But what's important to me at the end of the day is that I was authentic and real and not fraudulent to myself. Yep. I love that. And, and I think there's what you said at the end there that, that not being fraudulent to yourself and, you know, there's this aspect of understanding yourself in order for you to actually be authentic. You've got to identify, you know, what are the biases, what are the fears, what are the problems that you have going on in your head that cause you to behave in an inauthentic way, right? I mean, the sales one, you know, pressure of a quota, pressure of the quarter closing, all of that kind of stuff, that can cause a lot of people to act in an inauthentic way to get yeah. a deal done, right? That that pressure changes our behavior. And and so I think happiness is a, is a piss poor word for what we're trying to get out of work. I think there's, it's somewhere between happiness and fulfillment mm. because... Uh, I think when you talk about those highs of, of having a big win or having a, a big loss, um, you know, and towards the end of 2020, I fell into a deep, dark depression because I had a big loss. Like I was trying to build up to something, trying to launch something and it flopped. And, you know, for me, I had failed. I mean, I played baseball. I failed, you know, 80% of the time. Right. And so trying really hard and failing wasn't something that I, you know, was had a problem with. Like that was pretty normal. But what happened in 2020 was I backed down. I knew what I needed to do and I didn't do it. So I stopped trying on this launch and, you know, I self-sabotaged. So I lost to myself Hmm. and that was really hard. But what I found to be really, really interesting is this idea of, you know, suffering, having meaning. So if we're at work, some things are going to suck. You know, we just got through tax season, you know, <laughs> I had to file an extension, so I'm not done with it, <laughs> but same, like same. taxes sucks. Like for most people, like we hate accounting, we hate doing all, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It sucks, but it has a meaning to it, right? It's, it's a mandatory, like in order for us to do business, we kind of have to do it. So it, there's a purpose to it. Um, but if, if at work we have meaningless suffering that's the really like scroll sucking stuff like mm. that's that's the pain that i had to run away from um because you know starting your own business you lose stability right <laughs> mental sometimes <laughs> but financial stability right it's going to get volatile you know you're running you have you know two months left of cash all the time forever maybe not forever but <laughs> like i was like talking <laughs> Yeah. I was, I was talking to Peter, um, Tyler, the, you know, yeah. guy that ran the other side and he was like, yeah, even when we were at 10 million bucks a year, we, you know, had no idea if it was going to keep going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think what, what you see in, especially in big companies and what I felt, and there's this corporate kind of misery where everybody is doing stuff that they don't really believe in for the sake of the quarter, for the sake of 3% growth this year, for the sake of what their boss's boss's boss wants. Um, and, and just the heart just gets squeezed out of everything. 
Like people have a really great idea, care about it, and then it just gets squashed by these barriers of whatever they are. Maybe they're reasonable, but whatever. Uh, that kind of stuff just gets squashed. And when something doesn't have heart, that to me is is boring. Lovely. And boring to me is the opposite of happiness. You know, I, oh man, I want to get get into something. And, and this isn't to toot my own horn as a manager because I have many, many flaws. But there's <laughs> a lot that was missing from management throughout my career that would have just been so simple to fire me, to fire me up. Right. So yep. I've got a guy, Max, Max Gravender, who, who's a great guy. We're personal friends, but he's worked for Funk Futures for the last year and a half. I hired him originally at Seven Lakes uh, in 2014, the day he graduated college. And it always said a lot about him that we interviewed on a Thursday. And I'm like, when can you start? He's like, well, I graduate on Saturday. I mean, I guess I could start on like Monday. <laughs> and I'm like, man, that's cool. Like I would have been like, man, I need like the whole summer to putz around. I don't want to be serious yet. But he really kind of kind of got it. So I just sent him a note on Monday night because he's been doing a lot of work for me going above and beyond. He came out to Denver for energy tech night, which was a blast. Um, did some networking at opening day. He's going to Dallas for the Doug conference for one of our clients. Like he's, he's going above and beyond right now. And I just said, Hey dude, just wanted to say that I appreciate you. I've thrown a lot at you this year, especially, and you've done nothing but work hard and crush it with no complaints and questions asked. I'm fortunate to have you on my team. And that was an authentic moment and a truthful moment. And I didn't ask for anything in return. I didn't follow that up with, oh, and hey, by the way, I need you to send 600 fucking emails tomorrow <laughs> because you're falling behind and you've only gotten me two meetings this month, right? It was just like, you know what? Like I had a moment of, I feel like this guy could use a little bit of pat on the back and, and yeah. show like truly and authentically how I feel and felt about him. And hopefully when he thinks about work, when he comes in on Tuesday, it's not this negative bullshit. There's at least some meeting and you feel appreciated because I do appreciate him. And I have to communicate that in some way that's not financial. Yeah. And and I'm glad that it wasn't part of a, you know, a criticism sandwich also, where, <laughs> you know, compliment and then the, the negative feedback that you're trying to give and then another compliment. If any managers are listening, don't fucking do that. Like it's the most <laughs> condescending thing where you're treating the person like a child. <laughs> but but that's awesome. And 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 I guess uh, another question is, you know, you talked about you know you'd only have one hat and there's only one thing that you could do, and sometimes it was crooked and whatnot. How how are you preventing your employees from like running into that? Um, you know, I think part of it is leading by example, right? Showing that in my communications, um, I'll be authentic and honest and um, not sugarcoat anything if things are going poorly. Um, yeah. I want to be the first to address that. And just sort of with the nature of having, you know, six or seven clients, which I think we have right now, um, they're probably not all going to be overwhelmingly happy. And some of them are just wired in a way where it's never going to be enough anyway. So. Wow peeling that back and me being the one to kind of level with my guys and saying, look, they're criticizing us right now, but doesn't matter what we do. It will never be enough. And, and that's it. not on us, right? We're for yeah. fulfilling our contractual obligations and you may even argue and then some, yeah. but we can't let 
their feelings about this affect us. If they don't want to continue on with us when this contract is up, that's okay, right? This is their business and those are decisions they can make. We can't do anything else above and beyond what we're doing without burning ourselves out. And I'm just not going to allow that to happen. Um, so I think part of it's leading by example. That That's really cool. And I, I think that goes back to your, your earlier point about, you know, riding the winds really high and the losses really low and, and some of that stuff. What you said about, you know, we are who we are. We know who we are. We have confidence in what we do. And sometimes the external results won't, you know, necessarily match how good we are because yeah. this is business. There's chance. There's stuff out of our control, all of that stuff. And so like on an individual level and on a company level, like developing that sense of comfort in your own skin is so huge for, you know, being, you know, happy slash fulfilled, I think in, in what you do, because there's always going to be good stuff that happens, bad stuff that happens. And most of it is out of your control. Now, yeah. like one thing that I think people get wrong with that is like, I'm like, you don't want to be a rock. Like I think people take stoicism like way too far and be like, okay, I need to be an emotionless robot forever. Like, I think there's something to be said for riding the vibes, right? And like when things are good, like have fun when things are yeah. bad, like feel it, like grieve, you know, cause sometimes you need to, and, and that stuff is healthy, but, but there should be a, a core somewhere inside you that, that you're pretty comfortable with. Yeah. Well that, well that takes time um, and experience. Yep. Like I can't say that me 10 years ago had that um, level of confidence, even um, in myself, I let external factors really affect um myself and and I still do occasionally but like I have a responsibility to my family like I know you've got young kids I have you know daughters who are 13 and 11 and a son who's 5 um and whether they say anything or not like they're watching everything and they're learning right and they're seeing the behaviors and, and those are going to transcend me raising them when they're under my roof and they're eventually going to be in their own work environments and they're going to react to things probably similar to how my wife and I react to certain situations. Yeah. So if there's anything I can do to set a positive tone around that, aside from just working hard with this Puritan work ethic that I guess I got from growing up in the cold in, in New England and being tough at all costs, pull yourself up by your boots or whatever. It's important that they see that there is a level of consistency because in a business like sales, it is very inconsistent. There are a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. And for too many years, I rode those those highs and lows, and took the dopamine hits up, and the and the lows like pretty hard. Um, and you know, one one other thing too, and, and I'm I'm picking on Max in this example. What I what I used to do <laughs> as a as a worker um, before I was kind of a leader is I would emulate the work ethic of my boss. No. So. This was a guy who worked 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. I would generally do the same thing. If this was an 8 to 5, 8 to 4 guy, I would generally do that. Right. So there would be this. And I see other people do that as well. They have this burning desire to make other people happy and to align with their management in a way that the management should, in their perception, appreciate. Some people don't care about that. They have their own work ethic. They're comfortable with what they do. And I've seen people throughout my career that would come in at eight and leave at five and be incredibly productive and never think about it. Like, man, that is so awesome. 
I'll never be able to do that. If my boss is a workaholic, I'm going to work too much and burn out and probably start to hate him. <laughs> um, with, with Max, like he works his ass off and he always has. And, and he's developed, I think, a little bit more meaning around work since he had a kid, which is a whole nother story, right? I, I developed that too when I had my first um, many years ago. And then you sort of adjust back to, to how you are. But I realized when he came out here in early April, I said, I don't think you've taken any vacation this year. And he goes, well, you know, I'd, um, I took a day in like January. So one day, yeah. what did you do? It's like... Well, I had to like move stuff around my house. I'm like, that doesn't sound like a really fun, <laughs> fun day off. Um, I was like, don't you, you know, we're like four months into the year. And what I don't want to have happen is for you to start getting mad at me uh-huh. because you're working the way that I work, right? Like I run yeah. this company, right? I'm fulfilling my dream, whatever that dream is or was. And I don't want you to burn out. So uh-huh. I'm going to tell you, even if it hurts my business a little bit, you need to take a few days off. Like you've yeah. got to take, whether it's this month, whether it's next month, I don't care. Like you need to take a break because I know how these things go, man. I've worked burning the wick at both ends. It, it is not sustainable. So yeah. I really want you to seriously consider finding some time or maybe around your anniversary, maybe for your birthday. I don't know take a few days off. There's a, there's a really <laughs> good book. That to me, man. <laughs> there was a really good book that a friend of mine wrote. Um, he lives in Japan. He's from Germany though. Uh, Max Frenzel is his name. And he okay. wrote a book called time off. Um, and it, and it talks about like, how do you actually take time off and like the history of it? And, and there's a lot of really fascinating stuff in there. That's a, it's a good one. Um, but I think like, I hate the term work-life balance. Um, and, and I think that like we post quite a bit about how much time we spend working because, you you know, dollars per hour is probably, you know, the most important metric that we have, you know, beyond making enough to keep going. Um, and, and I think the reason that we started this business and, and it drives a lot of the decisions that we make is around freedom and flexibility. Um, not just for us, like not just for the founders, but also for you know anybody that works with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we don't want to be, you know, maximizing profit while we're working 30 hours a week and everybody else is working 80, yeah. like, like a lot it's of companies fair. do. Yes. <laughs> companies do that. Um, but I think what people, you know, a misconception about that is that, you know, for one, we're really strict about the time that we track. So like most people, they'll say that they work 60 hours, but five of that was spent pooping and <laughs> there was a bunch of just waste and stuff in there. So like we track it to the minute, so, like we get up and are doing something else. Like it's, that doesn't count. Um, but I, I think what matters more to me is giving people the flexibility to, uh, to kind of do what they need to do, uh, for themselves so we're very like individualist run. So people come up with their own targets, their own goals, own objectives and all that stuff. And then we figure out how it all plays together. Um, cool. We've got joint projects, like obviously the software, um, the planner that, we, that we've that we just launched, like we're collaborating on it, we're working together. And so there's some shared 
you know, expectations, shared timelines, ways that we have to work together on it. Um, but like we came up with that together, right? We're not imposing deadlines on each other and, and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, it's pretty common to see in our, um, like our collaboration tool, somebody will say, hey, I'm feeling burnt out. I'm going to take the rest of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, like I'm, I'm coming out of a pretty, like, mm, I'd call it a slump. Cause like I was in a big push, bunch of consulting work first few months of the year, the book launch. And, you know, I think that was like end of March, early April at a conference a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we just launched our podcast like a couple of days ago, like just started right. that. Right. Yeah. And so like all kinds of all this stuff I've been kind of like the vibe over the last few months has been pretty grindy. And, you know, after we got past all this stuff, I was like, holy shit, I'm tired <laughs> like and i need a little break so like this week and and last week taking taking a little bit easier and then you know gearing up for for another steady push yeah yeah i mean there's there's some gold in there and and i'm with you you know the i was in a slump uh earlier this year and, and you know this isn't stuff that i share often at least publicly but um you know i decided to get sober uh almost eight months ago almost exactly okay. eight months actually and um okay yeah I went, I went to rehab uh and and really decided to to take a a lot of inventory on my life something like 238 days which is pretty cool but that's not what i want to talk about what i want to talk about is well i want to talk about that for a second so so that takes a, a hell of a amount of willpower like that's hard and yeah. so i want to commend you on that that's awesome dude thank you um and there's been a lot of changes throughout that that process i th i think when you party as much as I was partying. You're used to <laughs> riding those uh, ups and downs of dopamine hits um, in yeah. addition to a job that also takes you up and down with those dopamine hits. And let's be honest, like this is a little bit of a, a heavy boozing industry. Like oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my perspective on it. Um, there's happy hours in, in Denver now that the weather's good, like every night. You go to Nape in Houston, nope. like it might as well be an all-inclusive, you know, trip, right? Because there's booze and different parties like at every level of the hotel <laughs> that you're hanging yep. out at, right? And then dinners and lunches and and it can really get easy to go down that path. And whether I had a problem or not is, is sort of irrelevant. I needed to make a wholesale change um, and I did. And And what that does is it starts to really level your mind and your dopamine to just be a little more consistent with everything right. around you. That is um, for all intents and purposes, chaos. So right. what did I do? Right. I had to replace these sort of like ups and downs and these waves. So like I started gambling more on football. <laughs> I started playing more <laughs> um, I started uh, using my smoker more. I was like really into smoking meats. I got really into like being a present dad. Right. Yeah. Um, and like, Positive, these are all positive things. But then, right, football ends. It's January, February. The weather gets bad. No right? I lose a couple of clients. I'm like, man, I don't want to get up. You yeah. know? I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm I'm still proud of myself because I you know, I decided to clean myself up and I'm doing really well and I'm I'm becoming really consistent, but like I'm not finding the meaning in this yeah. right now. And, and that's going to happen. So I took it upon myself, like, what can I do to make a change? Right. And, and like, like really simply, I just started following, um, Andrew Huberman 
on Twitter and like taking into account some of the things that he suggests. So I'd start to, to get up and not look at my phone right away, yeah. which is we all do it, but you really shouldn't <laughs> like it actually well. ruins the rest of your day. There's science behind this. Like don't yeah. look at your phone for the first 30 to 45 minutes. If you can hold off, go outside and look at the sun. It's crazy yeah. as that sound, right? Don't, don't drink directly, coffee. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, <not directly. laughs> outside with the sunglasses off has some medical, like, Real benefits for sure. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> drink uh, coffee, right? Until you have yep. to. He would suggest 90 minutes. I can't make it 90 minutes, so I do about 45. Um, exercise if you can. Take a cold shower, right? So these are just things where it's like, and don't do all of these things at once, right? And I try saw to somebody like, posted, they added <laughs> up like all of his daily routine recommendations, and it, and it was like, 30 hours of things to do every day <laughs> like, and, th and then read right and journal for 25 yeah, minutes yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you're not going to do all this nor should you implement all of these things at once because it will exhaust you but like i slowly started to incorporate all of these things to the point where then they become your patterns right, right. and then suddenly the slump starts to go away right i get back into podcasting i find value and meaning in that I started writing more LinkedIn posts. I started using ChatGPT a little bit more, right? I, I mean, just like really, really simple changes got me out of that slump. So for those who are listening to this, like you will have those valleys. Like that is is very real, but you don't want to stay in that proverbial funk. You got to find ways out. And the only ways to do that is just make a change. Simple yeah. as that. And what I've found is as I've gotten older, I'm getting better at predicting and like noticing the signs before they hit. Yeah. So like usually from before I slip into a depression, I'm, I'm pretty tense and I'm like quicker to get angry and stuff like that. So if I notice that, then I can, you know, find a way to relieve some pressure or relieve some stress or like whatever it is. And it's the things that you just talked about. It's, you know, sleeping right, eating right, getting off your phone and going outside. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's not complicated, like drinking water and exercising. Like it's basic human shit that yeah. like has a big impact on, on a lot of that stuff. And, you know, sometimes it is chemical and you need medication and all that, but a lot of times for, you know, non-clinical depression, it's the answer is simple. But that doesn't make it any easier to do those things once you're in the slump. Because yeah, I don't know about I don't know about you, but some of those really dark ones, it's it's everything that I can do to just get out of bed in the morning. Like the tiniest stuff just feels impossible. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, that could be a topic for a whole nother podcast, maybe on yours sometime. But <laughs> sure. I also I think it's seasonal a little bit too. Um, when you don't see the sun or when it's snowing a lot out here. Yeah. Um, it's really tough. And, and, you know, part of why I live in Colorado is because it's sunny all the time. Um, and the weather is great, but this year we had like an unseasonably cold winter. Right. Wow. And it's like, when will this end? Like I'm relying <laughs> on you, mother nature, come on, let's get some good weather going here. And it just wouldn't happen. Right. So instead of just waiting for that as like holding on to my sanity, I took charge and made some, some changes myself. I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, like you said, 30 hours. And, and I think that that is, it's very admirable. I congratulate you on that. Um, I probably put in more than that. Now I'm probably somewhere in the range of 50 to 55 real work hours a week, which, which I can sustain for a while. If I take a vacation, there was a point 
when I first started Funk Futures, and people love to throw big numbers around, but but I was legitimately working 80 hours a week. I'd really only done that a few times in my career. I did that for about three months, and yeah. I was so angry and oversensitive and bitter and, yep. and just mad at the world that I just realized pretty fast, like, okay, maybe in my mind, that's what it took to launch this company, but this has to stop because yeah. I am a horrible person. So I'm curious, have you had any of those streaks with your business where you've worked 60, 70 hours a week, or have you really been diligent about saying, nope, I'm actually going to keep this to 30 to 35 hours a week. And that's corporate, that's culture. That's part of the, the pillars of pod two. Oh, so, so let me go back to, to where some of the stuff came from. So in, when I was with us, Cerna, let's say like 2015, as when my mm-hmm. daughter was born, my first daughter. And from when that happened, I kind of realized that a lot of the people around me that were really successful entrepreneurs had a lot of regrets in their personal life. So mm-hmm. maybe they exited for millions of bucks and, and all of this stuff. But, you know, there's one that I really look up to. He has regrets about how he was as a dad. Um, another, a, a different guy missed the birth of one of his children. What? And, 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 multiple of them were divorced and all that stuff. So I, I was surrounded by some of those folks. Um, and I did not want to be like that. <laughs> like maybe I'm naive or maybe I'm greedy, but I want to be both a great husband and father and like do well in my career. So, so when my daughter was born, that set me off on, you know, full on research mode on productivity, like experimenting with everything, trying everything. Chris Bailey, if you haven't heard of him, amazing amazing stuff his latest book how to calm your mind nice it's really good um yeah so i went really deep down that like productivity you know obsession and pretty quickly what i found was buddhism actually ah nice yeah so so i didn't talk about it that much um but um, i practiced you know zen buddhism which is not about reincarnation and all that stuff it's more of a philosophy like how do you just be a reasonable and happy human that helps other people be happy um we could go deep on that one, but, but that's where it kind of started for me was, you know, I have to limit work. I will give up success in my career for my family. Like no matter what, I'm not going to risk my family. Um, because at that point I was, I was in Columbia a week, a month. I was in Calgary a week, a month, and I was working a bunch in between. I don't know how many hours it was, but gone half the time. Plus working a lot when I'm not gone, it was just not cool. Um, and so uh, I think since we started the business, there's been pushes. Um, I usually average, I'm probably closer to like 40 hours on the, on the weeks that I work. Um, but it's made me and us, you know, really, really intentional about what we do. And so, I mean, frankly, we're just efficient as fuck. <laughs> like, well, yeah. like, like we have, you know, two meetings a week because we want to, um, like, there is some business stuff that we'll talk about. We'll, we'll talk about issues when we have them and things like that. But, um, as a group, we don't meet very often. We, we preserve focus. Um, and, and there's a bunch of stuff that we don't do. So we don't have meetings internal or external that we're not valuable for. So like we'll give up billable hours for sure. If a client says like, Hey, it would be nice to have you in this meeting. And we, we kind of test them. be like, do we actually need to be there? Like, no, nah, probably not. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And yes, the answer is usually yes. Yeah. Um, 
So we're really, really diligent about not doing stuff that that doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And and the opportunity cost of stuff. So like, I don't go to conferences almost ever. Like, right. I love them. I love meeting people and the relationships and everything there. But the time cost is is crazy for some of these. Interesting. Um, like, Interesting. I, I, went, See, I-, I went to the Saga Wisdom Conference a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but that's the only one that I think I've gone to this year and last year. That looked super cool. They they did it in Nashville, right? Yeah, they, they, it was fun. Those guys, like, they know how to do it right. And I, I just kind of admire the way they, they go about business, right? Like, yep. they, it, it's unique, and and they do things their way, and they're fairly unapologetic about it. So I, that's cool, and it doesn't surprise me that you went to that. I actually um, really value and prioritize conferences just because yep. – um, FaceTime is more minimal now than it used to be, right? I think yeah. fundamentally sales and business has changed. Um, if I am representing a company that's trying to do a high six or low seven figure business deal, um, it's a lot harder to do it like this, right? Yeah. So that may be my opportunity to organically uh, run into people or even plan to see somebody in an atmosphere where maybe people have, have, have become a little bit more relaxed because they're not in the office. So yeah. um, like I, I really enjoy going to conferences and I, I think like you said, you do too, but you know, you're trying to be billable, right? And you're going to lose a lot of billable hours um, for the sake of being at that, at that conference. You know, part of what I'm doing is, is awareness and, uh, lead generation and and those can sometimes be some of the best opportunities but you're right like um oftentimes they're boondoggles and you can leave and say did i (laughs) do anything productive in the 35 hours i spent working yeah no no for sure and and like the billable hours aren't really the opportunity cost because we try to avoid hourly as as much as we can um and i'm not saying the conferences are, are bad or anything but i think that there's I've met so many people and, and I think investing in the relationships with people that I've already got in, in a lot of ways is, is where I'd rather spend my time both like personally and, and for the business. So I do lots of coffees, lots of lunches, especially East river nine, little nine hole golf course in Houston. Perfect place for a meeting now. Cause it takes an hour to like play the whole course and, Oh, that's wonderful. Um, it a three or, uh... yeah, it's a, it's a nine hole part three. Yeah. It's, it's a good spot. Um, but, and then, and then the other side of it is I'm an introvert, right? So if I go to a conference and I'm around people 12, 16 hours a day for a whole week, like I need a week to recover from that, <laughs> even if I don't drink. <laughs> like, yeah. like, that, like, and I love it. I love people. I love interacting and everything. And I love, especially like speaking at the conferences and, and all of that stuff. But you know, it, it takes a lot out of me and yeah. yeah. No, that's and. I need about a day, but I mean, I, and I'm an extrovert, right. But I, I get yeah. that. Right? There is that feeling of exhaustion, like no more people. Um, <laughs> a couple yeah. more questions I want to get into with you. Like you don't need to name any, but do you, do you have any competition? And I know there's two sides of the house, right? There's pod two on the consulting side and you, you also have a, a software uh, technology product, but do, do you have competitors? The software, like different softwares that we create will have competitors. Um, We generally try to fill gaps in the market. And so we don't try to go in and like take somebody out or something. Um, But the planning tool, you know, that one has some obvious competitors and and stuff like that. Um, On the consulting side, 
I don't know. I mean, there's there's some other people that that do this kind of thing, but the world is so abundant. You know, like yeah. like there's opportunity for all of us. Um, and and with software also, like I really don't see the need for people to get bitchy at each other and and try to like sabotage each other and all that shit. Like <laughs> the amount of time that's wasted on thinking about competitors when you could just go like find different parts of the market that fit you better. Um, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know the, when I started the business, my hypothesis was that, you know, I could do a better job than, you know, these really big consulting firms, Accenture, BCG, that right. like in this space, I could yep. do a better job than them for 10% or less of the cost. And that's proving to be true. Um, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> and I know that there's some smaller shops out there and, and stuff like that, but a lot of the consulting pieces around trust and personality and, you know, do we have chemistry? Um, and that matters more than, you know, can I do a process map as good as, you know, somebody <laughs> else, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but you might be able to do it faster just because you've sat in those rooms and your team has been in those rooms. And and like to, to go back to like 2015 at Entersight, like you guys were were pretty dominant back then and, and were viewed as like really the emerging player in both the rig and resource scheduling as well as the field development planning, um, upstream planning space, and really sort of without rival. And it's interesting for me, I remember saying to Marsha, like uh, Marsha Veal, when, when you guys were starting pod two and you brought in, I think, Leslie and, and you brought in Josh and you brought in some of these other people that you'd worked with, she said, those guys all, and Raul, you guys all really had a special relationship, right? And I do think that some of that was forged in like effectively going to war together and probably putting in all of those hours that you put in. Would you want to do that again? Maybe not, but there's definitely a reason like me and Max who hit the trenches like pretty hard when we were at Seven Lakes, that that did forge a level of uh, camaraderie and familiarity uh, that has carried over. Working together on stuff like that's what builds relationships to me and how hard it is that can bring out, you know, the personality of a person. You, you see who they are. It's one reason I like playing golf with people, mm. right? You see them go through some struggles. You see them go through some good times. You kind of see how they behave. It's a great interview. Interesting. <laughs> it's funny. But, but yeah. And, and so, I mean, we went through all kinds of stuff together back then and it was, it was a lot of fun um, with Josh, especially like he and I, we just like mind meld. Like we won't have to yeah. talk about something. We'll, we'll see something and we'll talk about it. Like I'll, I'll, I'll always be skeptical and be like, Hey, do we really see the same way on this? And we almost always do. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's really cool. We've gotten, you know, some key pieces of that old team back together and yeah, we're, we're doing some good stuff, man. Like I, congrats. And I'd say you're fortunate, but I think, you know, I, I know you a little bit now you've sort of created, um, your own opportunity and your mindset and, and put the pieces around you that complement you and make sense and that you can mind meld with. And I, I like that phrase, uh, on competition. And then, um, I'm going to let you go here shortly. Like I've actually noticed a lot more, uh, fractional sales people popping up lately, okay. which, which I think is, it makes sense, right? It's, 
it's fun. You don't have one boss. Um, you can leverage your network in one way. You don't just go down one alley. And if there's a dead end, you're dead. Um, there's, there's value to be created there. So I've seen a few of these companies pop up. I think COVID had something to do with it also, where everybody wanted to get kind of into the gig economy and not just be dependent. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, if I lose my job here, I'm screwed, right? Now I can diversify my revenue streams. Um, so people will say, hey, I just saw this company. Like, do you compete with her? Do you compete with him? And I'll say, yeah, I mean, it looks like we're doing some similar things. There's probably not an exact replica of the contact base and the subject matter expertise, but I'll tell you what, like if you reach out to that person, like I'm happy to share everything that I know and I've learned because there's been a shitload of trial and error over the past two and a half years for me to try to get to somewhere where I can confidently pitch even what my business is. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying I invented contract sales for sure. I did not, but there was a lot of learnings that I would love to pass on to people and suggest and make recommendations and be an open book because I think that makes everybody better and it starts to validate and solidify the fractional sales right. as a true business and maybe even yep. a business that someday could be acquired, which was the furthest thing from when I started something, right? Yeah. Uh, so like I put that message out there to anybody who's listening. Like, I'm not just saying, I'll share my contracts, right? I'll, I'll show people exactly what my pitch decks are, right? Yeah. <laughs> Things that well, I've and, learned. And, 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 and we, we see the world the same way. And I think a big problem in the industry is how guarded everybody is. Like, people don't have their demos on their websites and <laughs> like all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It, like, your stuff is not special. Um, and, and like you're holding the industry back by keeping, you know, whatever your tool is behind closed doors and, and, and all this stuff, it's just dumb. Um, but I, I think that there's a, I've met different founders and I've met different folks and the way that they view competition is really fascinating. Like there's two companies that I'm thinking of that are, you know, they'll compete, uh, or are trying to compete with us on, on one of our software tools. I'm not going to say who they are, stuff like that. But one of them, it's like, we talk and it feels like, you know, two quarterbacks in an NFL game. We're like, I'm not going to tell you our our plan, but you know, we can work out together. Right. Yeah. I like that. We're friends. Like, I'm not going to like give you the game plan, but you know, we're, we're friends. There's like a camaraderie to it. It's like, yeah, we're fighting, but like, we don't have to be dicks. Um, and then on the other side, there's dicks that are like, (laughs) like, okay, like you don't want to talk to us because we might compete someday in the future. And like, okay, that's fine. Uh, we can play that game too, but yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that's, I like that. I mean, because you and the quarterback on the other side actually have a lot more in common than you and the defensive back that you truly are trying to beat. Exactly. Uh, You know, there's, I love, I love sports analogies. Um, All right, Matt, we'll wrap this up here. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Uh, LinkedIn, you know, Twitter, uh, websites, all the fun stuff. Yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, the big ones, pod2pod2.co is our is our main website. Book that came out a few weeks ago, Integrated Upstream Planning. Um, that's on Amazon. You can also go to integratedupstreamplanning.com. Um, I was surprised that that one was available given how much other companies talk about integrated upstream planning. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um, yeah, I'm on the internet all over it. So, yeah, come find Matt. me. 
Matt Harriman, really, really fun to have you on. I'm glad we talked about a lot of stuff that really isn't work-related, but also yeah. enjoy seeing you and your team succeed. I think that you you go about it with heart um, and you take pride in your work and um, you're establishing kind of a, a way to build culture that doesn't interfere with growth. It, it only adds to the potential growth of your own company and to others. So I look forward to future collaborations with you. Hopefully I get on your podcast at some point, but Matt Harriman, my man, thanks for coming on. What the funk. Yeah, man. Thank you.